These are the people who traded in their chips and changed their minds, all in the name of fresh air. And we're letting these folks interview each other. Each week, student becomes teacher, interviewee becomes interviewer. I'm Nick Mott, host of the show, and this is Take It From Me, the podcast from REI, your source for outdoor gear, classes, and experiences. When I'm outside, it's a process of constantly moving. I'm hiking, I'm climbing, I'm going up and down hills, my heart is beating hard, I'm sweating, I'm barely stopping to enjoy the view. But Sarah Yule, an artist and self-proclaimed joy evangelist, experiences nature in an entirely different way. In the dirt and sand of the places she loves the most, she sits and she paints. Last episode, you heard from Phil Taylor, farmer and founder of Mad Agriculture. The, the, the central piece of farming is managing poop. Phil met Sarah on a rocky outcrop overlooking the snowy mountaintops of Colorado's Indian Peaks Wilderness. Most recently, Sarah put together an installation she called Love Letters to the Land that included 30 poems and works of art meant to inspire and get people attached to the environment that surrounds us all. I'd also like to read you a couple love letters to the land if you are interested. Dear Howl of the Wind. Dear Howl of the Wind, Lean into me, you said and see what happens when your spirit seeps into the very fabric of its making. We are one thread wound tightly into the same beautiful picture, like sunlight on sand or snow on driftwood, inseparable the same. Here's Phil and Sarah chatting about what connects art and farming. And I think it'd be fun to start with your journey. I'd love to know how you became an artist. Well, don't you think we're maybe born artists? We maybe are born artists. For me, it's been a lot of unlearning the things that maybe prevented me from pursuing art earlier. And that's okay, because I learned other things. I've had a lot of different chapters in life, and I've gotten to do a lot of really cool things that I feel like have set me up just perfectly to really thrive as an artist. Um, I'm really glad that I didn't pursue being an artist in my 20s. feels like I get to come at it with all of the different things I've done before because doing art is a lot more than just you know squeezing creativity out of you it's the ability to do that and then to do something with it uh, if you want to make a living doing it I certainly want to make a living as an artist but it's more that I want to do something that my heart is asking me to do and so I kind of consequently get to make a living out of it it's cool to find and hear about that alignment, you know, where you're, you're following your heart, you're listening to your heart. How, what was that process? So in your, in your 20s, tell me a little bit about what you learned that's set up for now. And then also, I'd love to hear how you start listening to your heart. Like, how, what, was that, what was that like? Hmm, that's a great question. I love that. When did I start listening to my heart? I think I was really fortunate that I always had some flavor of knowing how to listen to my heart and maybe defy normal and be the uh, <laughs> mad farmer, if yeah. you will, in all the different things that I've done. Um, but the first big teacher I had was being an athlete. So I started pursuing professional cycling as a teenager, basically and did that for a full decade and got to travel all over the world and being a dedicated athlete taught me a lot about 
you know, goal setting and achieving success. I think that it's important to know what success tastes and feels like so that when you get to another juncture in your life and you want to have a different kind of success, you know what it feels like to, to pursue that or to know that you can pursue something that you at one point do not have and then you maybe acquire. But then you also learn that maybe it's not about getting to the destination or winning the medal because uh, you know, every Olympic gold medalist wants to be a 15-time Olympic gold medalist. And so the new challenge became like, how do I remain vibrant and fresh throughout my life even if I leave something that I was once successful at? Success is perhaps an evolution of our vitality. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so I'm curious about, you know, to be a competitive cyclist, you're constantly thinking about winning and, and beating people. Yeah. How is the competitive spirit that you used and harnessed for that kind of competition reoriented or manifested itself in, in your art? Yeah, I'm so glad you asked that because I think about that a lot and I feel like I carried a lot of like intense struggle around that obsession for winning. Every time I've tried to pin a number on in a race since I've been done, technically, it's not fun to just do it as a like participant. I It's about winning, you know, because that was so drilled deep inside of me. But that became boring, I would say, or, or um, it, it became hollow, if you will. For me, winning as an artist, say maybe getting an article written up or you know a new client or a big job the winning benefits the work the cause the the meaning of the the art whereas winning before felt like I was the only benefactor Mm. of winning now it's just I feel a lot more direct impact of the ripple effect of my my success my success feels like success for you know protection of public lands or climate change or just inspiration and joy I'm all about joy. I mean, it's, that's kind of the, it's why we're here, right? One question that you, I mean, you just kind of touched on it, which I think is really cool. And it's also something that I'm feeling in my own work is moving from the competitive cyclist where the, the win was about you into a place where now the win is about channeling something much bigger. You know, you're channeling this kind of whatever your heart's wanting to bring out of the world. Can you tell me more about like what you're channeling, like like protection around public lands or climate change? You know, it's yeah. winning is about much more than just yourself. I, I think that's really yeah. cool. I might be an artist, you might be a farmer, but what everybody really wants is like that connection to their lifeblood, and that's addictive. And so I feel that one of my big roles with my work as an artist that sometimes is in the public sphere is to demonstrate. Not that everybody should go be an artist, but that everybody should figure out what makes them feel alive. So that's been a drumbeat for me. That's that listening to the heart piece, too. You know, did you feel like you, you know, as you talked about earlier, like, did you have to go back and undo what you had become in a way? I find that the world we live in, it feels like a a dim bulb relative to how brightly it could be shining. You know, there's no buffalo on the plains anymore. The salmon in the river are highly diminished. And so, like, how do we rub off that? that dusty heart but there are you know there are buffalo in the plains and there are beautiful salmon in the rivers and for me I understand that there's lesser that they're lacking in their um, well-being but I think that we need to sing their song so that more people um, you know feel their spirit and their beauty and and feel connected like we do so what maybe 
I would like to ask of everyone and ask you guys and you know whatnot is how do we make more people love the land and I think that it, it is from a love of something that we want to protect it and so maybe that dullness that you speak of that I totally see or surrounded in it is just not enough people that I have found what makes them come alive they haven't seen the salmon swimming upstream in a beautiful clear wild river and so I feel that I have finally identified my job and it's to create invitations for more people to go and meet that fish or that sunset or whatever but part of my responsibility is to stop preaching to the choir and only sharing my work and my art with people who already pretty much have that inside of them and find new audiences that need it more. I love this idea of using your art to, to solve nature deficit disorder of sorts. You know, I mean, as we urbanize, more people are living in cities, people are living away from where their food comes from, from the earth that sustains them. And I love the idea of your art inspiring people to reconnect. Are there any ways that you're trying to push your art into places where it might really come across as a new site for a, a young student to kind of catalyze that kind of thing? Are you, how are you thinking about it? I'm challenged. I'm scared of my own question. You know, it's, it's super fun to hang out with people who do what you do and you can high five because you both have like climbed that peak or did the same thing last weekend or whatnot. So when I think about who are those audiences, the way I've answered it right now is that I've given my art or par I've partnered with different nonprofits or advocacy groups like Conservation Colorado or POW or Water Conservancies and whatnot because they hold a bullhorn that speaks to an audience that's outside of, you know, my immediate outdoor community. Yeah, I find that, I mean, I, I love that idea and I love the idea of enabling the, the loud voices that are already, that already have purchase, you know. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's clear that you're, you're, you're using your art to empower strong voices. Are there landscapes you love? Are there campaigns that you're actively developing art for? You know, where does your heart bleed into those places? A bleeding heart is a, a weak heart. <laughs> I've spent a lot of time in Bears Ears. I, I like to go there to paint. A lot of my friends are climbers, and so it's easy to have companions. But I just... I love being there. I feel ancient there. I feel connected to the land there. And I actually brought my book with some of my Bears Ears art to show you. What I'm realizing, well, what I'm guessing is, is that you're you're more of a joy evangelist than I am. I consider myself like a massive optimist. Wait, why do we have to like decide no, 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 who's more decide. of a okay, joy okay. evangelist? No, I just I find that um, in our conversation you reenter it, you you reorient uh, well the dim conversation. Huh. You know, you yeah. reorient to kindness and joy. Mm -hmm. And which is like this, like effusive optimism. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, where does that come from? Is that something that you grew up with? Is that uh, something you grew into? This is like totally like my personal study right now. I, it's, I feel like in our thirties we like really like to to go on like another level of understanding our parental relationships. And uh, I love my parents; they're they're wonderful parents. But I did not get it from them, you know. Like they, they think that I'm just like this reckless optimist and. I feel like perhaps you can call it what you want, but I, I'm living a joyful life because of it. And, and I also think an informed life. I think about these rosy glasses that somehow this disposition I've found myself maybe born into somehow. It's just my my innate set point of the way I see of the world. And of course it was shaped by how I was brought up. My mother and father were incredible outdoorsmen. Uh, they were like pioneer cave explorers and 
rock climbers and they would map and survey new virgin cave passage. And so I grew up, you know, amongst nature and I give them an incredible credit for that. I don't know, like I've just always had this disposition. When I was a bike racer, my coach, he was like, you need to be meaner. You need to start using foul language. And like, he was like, he would, he would literally like say, you need to stop smiling at everyone. <laughs> and I tried it for a little while, but it just didn't work. And I would like literally yawn at the, uh, at the starting line and he would get so upset. He'd be like, what put your game fuck? face, put your game face on. Uh, I don't know. You know, yeah. me, I, it's just who I am, I guess. And I'm so grateful for it because I feel like it enables me to, I, I feel like I have a very large capacity, um, to experience life and in that case experience joy i think it's a good disposition yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah i would love to see your art <laughs> well why don't you just flip yeah, through and i'll tell you love, some yeah. stories of what strikes your interest i don't know i i also feel like totally on top of the world because i found this really magic recipe of how to blend all of my loves which are you know adventure and art and you know, my interest in advocacy and, and, you know, being a positive change maker. I knew I wanted to pursue art as a career a few years ago, but then I kind of just like to preserve, I started doing commercial illustration work, but to preserve my own creative process, I started watercolor painting on, you know, backpacking trips or trips into the mountains. It's becoming a larger part of the work that I get paid to do now. It was the most fun thing in the world to realize I could with a tiny little setup, you know, take take it along on ski tours or climbing trips or whatever. So all of these are places and stories. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking through this art book and it's 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 gorgeous. I mean, it really is gorgeous. Like I, I like my heart's pumping. The colors are not always what you might see at one time on the landscape. Maybe at different times. And so I would love to hear about your process. I mean. The first is is color. How does it how does it happen? <laughs> well, I always feel like my art is a combination of the the felt and the seen experience. So, I've always had a more imaginative approach to the art that I make. But then I'm, you know, in these landscapes and I want to paint. I actually like forced myself to paint mountains exactly as I saw them for a while because I would paint mountains just based on my imagination all the time at home, not in the mountains. And then I realized, well, you know, I really want to like actually be a student of the mountains and learn the way that the sun hits them or the topography falls or what a ridgeline really looks and feels like. And and so then I've found like that I did that for a little while. And then I think I've found a nice balance now of how to be playful and loosen up that like literal interpretation. And so a lot of that comes through the color and the line work. The felt experience is sort of just that magical feeling I get in the mountains. And that's where some of the swoopy fun curvy curly lines come from yeah so i'm, I'm looking at a, a mountain range this one is unfamiliar to me the mountains almost look like they're emerging out of the ocean like large humpback whales and so i've I'm a, i have a deep ocean connection and yeah. so i immediately feel that kind of ocean spirit lifting here which is cool i love the colors how they they are both stand in contrast and meld across the mountainscape they're not defined by shadows they can follow ridge lines sometimes not I love the use of like a golden yellow in this and it seems to be bursting out of the moon in some fashion. Yeah, it's beautiful. That one was entirely imaginary. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was like, this must be like Patagonia or like Queen Maudland down in Antarctica or something. I also feel one of the neat things that happens with art is that your memories get to find their way into a painting, you know. And a lot of times when I do the sky, I'm always so nervous about doing the sky. I'll paint like a mountain range and it'll be for many years like this one, you know, I just didn't even do skies. And I just started recently doing more skies on my pieces. And I feel like you can't really paint clouds that I was moving and so that's a place where like I feel like all the sunsets I've ever seen and all of the moving clouds that I've seen before in my life just somehow decide which one they're going to be in the painting. <laughs> where does your connection to mountains come from like what draws you into the mountainscapes I'm looking at a large river that's meandering right now and so I'm, I'm curious if you have if you're drawn to certain landscapes is it a product of where you live were you drawn there and your art's flowing what's what What's that piece of your story? I grew up, you know, in the woods, you know, with my parents and exploring outdoor things. And then I got really, you know, then I got really involved in sports and my sport of cycling and literally traveled the world doing that. And again, it was all about winning, (laughs) winning, winning, winning. Of course, I always was like finding the local bakery and getting in trouble from the coaches for exploring and whatnot. But So I always had an interest and a curiosity for landscape, but it wasn't until I quit cycling. The last year of my career, I moved to Colorado. And the whole year, first year that I was here, was just training, racing, dealing with the death of that part of me. That was a really intense, hard year because I realized my time was coming to an end. And uh, emotionally, spiritually, not physically. And then I quit, and then I just, like, went on all these road trips. And I'll never forget, I was eating this block of cheese, driving in my car, driving over Hoosier Pass on the way to Breckenridge. I was like, holy shit, these mountains are amazing. And that was just the moment that I realized that I had landed, like, where I belong. And so I think, for me, I'm most drawn to the alpine environments. And that's just, like, um, it's like meeting your true love. And it's just, like, what makes me feel most alive I go back home to the East Coast, and I think it's beautiful, um, but not in a way that that's that's not my match. This is my this is my home. I also like the desert, but in in smaller doses. I go to the desert to feel vastness and openness and spaciousness. Yeah, right, right as you mentioned that, I'm I'm looking at some of your desert paintings, yeah, which are which is I mean this is just remarkable. Um, where you capture the color and that sense of expansiveness. You know, true art comes out of, like, sitting in the dirt and having a deep, luscious conversation with that red stone, right? That's where that art comes from. And somehow, so that's where I make my best work. And these pages you can see are wrinkled, and they've got, like, coffee stains on them and smudges and whatnot. In terms of the creative process, one thing it got me wondering was this contrast between cycling which is moving through the environment very quickly and then drawing something like this which is sitting in the environment very slowly and so has that been part of your own personal growth that kind of contrast or movement and you know I I mean it just feels like this artwork demands time in the place this one for example this is a cool story so this is a painting of Catwall and Scarface and that whole area in Indian Creek, which is part of the Bears Ears National Monument. And uh, this is last November, so a year ago. I went on this trip to Indian Creek 
sort of out of vengeance for all of my friends losing my friends during creek season who are climbers they just like go bananas for this place i was just like what is it that's so amazing i'm gonna have to like get to the bottom of this so i took myself on a like three or four day trip to indian creek just to paint to experience the landscape for myself and to let it talk to me and it completely got inside of my bones and I was trying to leave. Um, I was there a really nice weather window and then the last day was quite cold and I was driving out of the creek and I couldn't leave. I did a U-turn in my car about five miles outside of the <laughs> main park and came back to this spot and I sat there in my like super puffy and all my warm clothes and stuff and I, I did that painting and it took me almost two hours and it was this really incredible moment for me where I realized oh my god I'm in such an incredibly deep and meaningful conversation with the land that I've overcome my own fear of of sitting for two hours on a painting I've always wanted to finish things like in 30 minutes and then go on and do a bike ride or go do be active again or whatever the next thing and now I, I feel like it's a form of maturity like as we get older we get better at relationships we get better at listening and this painting was me listening to what the land had to say and staying with it until it had told me everything that it had to say you know being an artist you're like a scribe you know you get this these works come through you you know and I really genuinely feel that way like anything great that I make is a translation of an experience that I had or <laughs> not to sound like such a kook but I really do feel like the land talks to me and the land will talk to you and anybody else if they're willing to listen you know we're made of the same stuff our western analytical brains you know will deny it until we can measure it but maybe we shouldn't care about measuring it I feel like that brings me to another question that I have that, you know, I'm a scientist and I became a scientist to wield power through critical thinking yeah. and through analytics yeah. and data. And I find in my own path, I'm actually leaving that kind of analytical sledgehammer and finding myself gravitating more toward art. I guess the question is, is in today's time, what role does art have to play in getting people to connect with the land or solving climate change? I like that question, and I don't know the total answer, but I have a hunch that art is like this playful space that people allow themselves to enter into somehow. And I've always been the kind of person that's wanted to just, like, get in it and ask the big, hard questions with anyone that I meet that I've known for five seconds or longer. Sometimes people aren't up for that, you know? Like, not everybody wants to go there. And now that I have this special medium that goes in between us a painting or you know a drawing or a poem or something that I created I feel like I have this superpower that allows me to connect with more people more intimately more rapidly and I that's fine if we're going to need that medium to that veil to bring us closer then I have discovered my superpower art perhaps is a medium it's a it's a, tr a portal for people to think sideways or differently or allow themselves to imagine. Some of the things that a photograph are, doesn't capture because it's so literal. A painting, though, is a more direct invitation for somebody to like think outside of their boxes.
Yeah, I mean, I look at this and I, uh, it, I want to visit this place. Do you want to see the other one? I do, yeah. This book's from my Scandinavia trip. I felt on that trip how much benefit comes out of spaciousness to go just be. And I think so many people are busy going to work and putting food on the table, and I understand, you know. And so, I don't know, the medicine of time and space is so clear to me. That would be the gift I would give everyone is more time and space. Certainly my family members and many, many people that I admire and I'm close to who are really powerful and doing really great work, but they're, we're all slammed. We're all putting so much on our plate. I, I feel the exact same way. I, and one of the biggest reasons that I'm starting my own organization is so I can have that freedom to work as hard as I possibly can and play as hard as I possibly can but to be fast when it's needed and to slow down when it's needed. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, the thing that's common between us is that we're both, I hate to say working, but we're trying our hardest to live joyful lives and inspire joy in others. Yeah. I mean, that's really what makes me tick. It's so impossible to ever imagine any single person's ripple effect, you know, our impact on the person that we held the door open for at the coffee shop, you know, like who knows what they're going through or what their life is. <laughs> no, I, I, that connects with me all the time. I mean, I, I feel like that being attentive to almost everything you do is is a good way to be, you know, and, and not be overburdensome with it, like, you know, and, and heavy in your spirit with it. But yeah. looking outside yourself is, is, you know, I think it was Gandhi who said, like, you know, if you want to understand yourself, then go serve others. Forcing creativity is ne- never works. Yeah. And so do you go through laws like three or f- two, three, four months where you're, you're, you just don't find that you're pulling your brush out? Like what does that, that ebb and flow of creativity look like yeah. for you? When I'm in a lull, it means I should go mountain biking or skiing, you know, or, or go hot spring or like go take care of myself. And I feel like a big part of fostering my creative wellness is... Um, taking really really good care of myself I'm not like the kind of artist that like masterpieces come out of like the darkness of like <laughs> depression actually I'm a joy evangelist <laughs> right so yeah 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 picture of Norway and it's it's full of light you know you have to be kind to yourself and you have to be kind to the entire process also informing you as you go allowing it to transform I mean this is all just so applicable to life I feel like my choice of vocation as an artist is making me a better person person <laughs> and I again it's like very much in contrast to some of the things that I learned in sport that's where the unlearning comes from I would never trade my experience as an athlete but I'm very very glad that I have learned how to loosen the grip a little bit and not be like super crazy type A planned out everything because that's where the magic comes from. It comes from like being willing to allow an experience to show you what it's going to be instead of like wanting to know for sure that it's going to be like this and this and this. I had a teammate that used to say like, you you just need to learn how to roll with it a little more. And I was like, no, this is how I win. You know, <laughs> like I fought her on it. Yeah. And I think of, I hear her voice a lot and I want her to like come laugh in a sheep pasture with me now. Have you always been a vulnerable person? I think listening to your heart requires a certain vulnerability and then sharing your heart and exposing yourself is a different kind of vulnerability. So what, what's been your own path in becoming a vulnerable person? 
I think vulnerability is so important and I feel like getting more vulnerable has unlocked more joy for me. But it's scary as hell, you know? Lately I've been feeling like a bird on the edge of a nest, a fledgling, that the beautiful world is out there and I'm, I'm just, I've leaped, you know? And I'm free fall and the uncertainty is crazy, but I have to trust that the wind and the wings will work, you know? And find that flight and it's such a liberating feeling. And I know that's where the good stuff is. We have to trust that process. All of the goodness and all of the magic, special things come out of exposing myself to uncertainty. And sometimes it sucks. My rosy glasses get shattered on the ground. Across one of your mountainscapes in your journals, it very large, it says, let everything happen to you, yeah. which I find a lot of resonance with that. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit more about yeah. What inspired that, those words across that mountainscape? It's like that idea that everything is a tool, everything is a lesson, everything that happens to you is for your greater good and evolution as a person. And, and I think that you have to then be willing and, and able to be exposed to, you know, to stand on the top of a mountain no matter how strong the wind is howling you know but then you know what it's like up there and and you're better for it take a look at some of sarah's art and find more stories of opting outside at rei.com blog on the next episode hear sarah talk with mountaineer and journalist giselle cecine she was the first venezuelan woman to summit denali and has learned firsthand the risks inherent to the high mountains This is Take It From Me, the podcast from REI, the co-op that helps you get outside through outdoor gear, classes, and experiences. REI is dedicated to protecting the places we play, and they believe that a life outdoors is a life well lived. I don't think advice gets much better than that, so get outside and find your next adventure. (laughs) 